Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to pray for us and we'll um, just continue to, to worship the Lord together this morning. Father, we're grateful for your goodness, Lord. We're grateful for your mercy. God, we thank you, Lord, as we, God, just recognize the so many things that we have to be grateful for this morning, Father. We praise you. We bless your name, Lord. And I pray, God, today as we look at a familiar story, God, that you might help us to, God, to see it afresh. God, that you might help us to see it for the first time, Lord. And that may we learn from your word today, Lord, what you would have for us, Lord. May the power of your spirit, God, speak to hearts. And, Lord, may there be nothing, God, in our lives that we love more than you. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, just continue uh, in this series called In the Beginning, uh, we're walking through the scriptures. We're walking kind of in a, a big story look at the uh, story of Christ, at God's redemption story. Uh, throughout Scripture, uh, we're walking through uh, a passage and really just a key place in Scripture where we see God's promise uh, to Abraham. If you uh, were able to join us online last week and uh, connect with that, I, I'm praying the Lord will see that uh, we need snow like through the week where kids can get out of school and not on Sunday. So we're, um, if y'all want to join me uh, in that um, but uh, miss being able to gather together and, and just uh, uh, study God's Word together. But we'll be looking uh, more at that story today. And we'll try to, uh, to kind of look back just a touch as well. Uh, when I think about Abraham and Isaac, which we're going to look at that story today. And uh, when I think about that, I, I think about tests. Now, I see a lot of young people in the room. And many of you are like me. Like when you hear all of a sudden like the teacher say, hey, tomorrow there's going to be a test. Now, there's a lot of times we, we just don't go, yes, right? Is that the, that's probably not the response, right? It's probably not that thing that the class that I'm in right now, I was reading this week and tonight I have a test. And I was thinking to myself, I said, don't you know that like people that are taking the classes that I'm taking were pastors? And so this is probably not a real good time for a test, right? How about Sunday we, I'm thinking, what are they thinking? But then I began to think about that, and I'm reminded that really there's never, at least from our perspective, there's never a good time for a test. But, you know, there's benefit in tests. If you get on an airplane and fly somewhere, and I've seen uh, some of you recently doing that, you're pretty grateful that that pilot has had some tests along the way. Uh, there's great benefit in those things. I heard of a lady who was getting ready for her surgery, and uh, the morning of her surgery, the doctor came in to visit her, and she uh, was kind of interacting with him, and uh, he told her, said, hey, you look very nervous. She said, I am. She said, this is my first surgery, and he said, ma'am, he said, I totally understand. He said, it's mine too, and You know, by the way, I heard, you know, tests, you kind of have a grade at the end of them, and you hope to pass or, you know, fail kind of dynamic sometimes. And uh, I heard somebody say, you know what you call a doctor that just barely passed those tests by the skin of his teeth and just barely graduated? You call him doctor. Yeah, that's what you call him. So, um, so as we, uh, if we'll bring the house lights maybe up about half, and we'll open uh, God's Word together in Genesis 22, and uh, just lean in 
uh, there. And we're going to lean into one of the most famous tests that we see uh, in all the scripture. And so we're going to look at, at verse one for just a second. Uh, we're going to walk verse by verse throughout uh, most of this chapter. And, and I want you to see the first thing. It says, now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Uh, and, and it's really important for us to note that along the way because it'll, it'll help us. And if you've never heard this story, knowing that this is a test from the beginning, like I'm so grateful that God allowed us to know that before we walk through this chapter, because if we didn't, uh, we'd, we'd just live in shock of this story, right? So it gives us this, this reality. And so we know that this is a test, but what I want you to remember as we read this is Abraham did not know. And so as we lean in, the, the two words, if I was going to title this sermon, it would be trust and obey. You know, we've sung that old song. We say trust and obey. There's no other Way. And so in the first verse, it says, now it came to pass after, or it came about after these things. So we want to find our place in the story. And as we walk through the scripture this year, as we navigate that, as you walk through your Bible reading and as you do those kind of things, I want to encourage you uh, to kind of find your place in the story. And when I say that, I don't mean like, okay, which character represents me or all those kind of things. But I want you to say, where is this in God's redemptive plan? Where does this land in the big story of Scripture? Where does this land in those places? You'll see a, a little graphic that kind of helps to, to see some of that. And you'll see uh, there's kind of a, an easy way to navigate some of this. There's really six places that you can kind of intersect pieces of Scripture. And we spoke in the very first week, we said that in the beginning, God created, right? So we see the first scene really in, in creation. And then uh, we saw God say, he created all these things and it was very good. But then we saw in Genesis chapter three, that it didn't take long for it to become very, very broken as sin entered into the world and we experienced the fall, right? And we see the results of the fall. Uh, scripture says, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men because all have sinned. And we, so we see this continued wreckage. We see this continued brokenness that's all around. And we see this continued uh, reality, right? That we have all sinned and that we are in need of a savior, but there's good news right in the midst of the story. And in number three, we see the promise. And when you think about the promise, I really want you to think about this place that we're at now in the scripture, in the place that we've been walking through, that we've been reading about when we read of God's promise to Abraham. And so I want you to think about that promise. Now we see, many of us think, when does the gospel begin? That's number four, right? And so we think about where does the gospel start? And we think about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's where I want you to think about when Jesus uh, was incarnate, when Jesus uh, came and and dwelt among us, right? Took on flesh, stepped out from the glories of heaven, right? I want you to think about that when you think about the gospel and then his life, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so uh, number four is a significant uh, place there. And so we're going to see this promise though between now, between the time we're looking at with Abraham until Jesus uh, comes and lives a sinless life, dies in our place, a substitutionary atoning sacrifice on the cross and was raised on the third day. And we see that beautiful picture of the gospel. Now you and I have the blessing if you want to know where we're at in the story. And so we think about, hey, where am I at in this story? Uh, well, I don't want you to look for your, yourself in the characters that are in the story, but we understand that we are in uh, the story in number five, right? And we're on mission for the glory of God, right? That we live in a time where we can look back uh, at the promises of God, where we can look back at the cross of God, where we can look in those ways and we, we can live 
as the people of God, empowered by the Spirit of God to walk in fellowship with God. And it's just this beautiful place. This is the greatest time that we could ever live. And we live looking back at the cross and we live looking ahead, knowing that Jesus is going to come and he's going to make all things new. And we see this new creation when Jesus will return for his people. And so when we see these things, it came about after these things, right? We want to find our place in the big story, but then we want to find our place in this smaller narrative of Abraham's life, right? So we see a lot's happened. In Genesis 12, if you remember, as we walked through that, God makes a promise to Abraham. He calls him uh, to leave a bunch of stuff, right? He says that he's to leave uh, his country and his relatives and his father's house. And he says, here's what you're to do, Abraham. God tells him you're to go to a land in which I will show you, right? Genesis chapter 12, we see that. So Abraham is to walk by faith. Now, verse 3 of Genesis 12 We read this. He says, here's what's going to happen. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you, I will curse. And then he says, and in you, and he gives this promise of this city, he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Crazy, right? I mean, this is like Abraham comes home and I want you not to get so far from the story that we don't think about just the way that this all would have went down. So Abraham comes home and Abraham comes home or Abram at this time comes home and he's like, hey, been talking to God. We, God like told us to move. And so we're, we're, we're to leave, you know, all this stuff and, and leave our father's house and all the things that we know and all the comfort that we have and all the wealth and all the things. We're, we're, we're to leave all that. And I'm sure um, Sarai at that time, what would she have said? And she would have said, where? Yeah, that's exactly, that's the first question. And then Abram would have had a great answer. And he's like, I don't know. Like now people buy houses sight unseen here because they want to come and worship here with us and, and like be in this community. I mean, I, I mean, they don't know they want to come yet, but they do. They do. They need. And, and so they come here. They buy these houses sight unseen. They look. Maybe somebody sends them a picture and they buy this house, but they have an idea of what they're getting into. They have a realtor that's helping them. They had none of that, right? They just had this promise of God and this command of God. And Abraham steps out and he walks by faith. I mean, we're talking leaving everything that they know. And just by faith, right, they're venturing out. Now, here's what we see in our lives. Like, I want all the details. Like, I I mean, I think about them stepping out and walking in faith. I want all the details. I want to know, like, what's going to happen next? What's what's the things that are going to happen? But here's the thing that I've learned in my life as I look back, and you might see this in your life. If you knew all the details, it'd scare you to death, and you'd never do anything. Like, you just never go back out again, like, if you knew all the details. So God lets us know what we need to know. And and so Abraham steps out, right? Now, when we read today's scripture, we're going to see Abraham's gone through lots of tests, lots of trials. His faith journey's been through ups and downs. Like it's just like a, a roller coaster along the way. We're not going to talk about all of it, but but here's the thing: like like by Genesis 15, he's been promised this seed. He's been promised that that through his descendants, there's going to be this that, that all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. It's going to be great. But but there's still no baby, and there, there's a problem because they're old, and so they're thinking like Abraham's worrying about some of that. Genesis 15, like God comes and he, he speaks to Abraham, and the way he speaks to Abraham is in like dramatic fashion. Uh, the the other week. Uh, I was outside walking with my wife at night, and I'd been kind of marinating and long, looking ahead, and it was just a clear night. And Sherry looked at me, and she said, oh, wow, look up. Man, I looked up, and it was just such a beautiful night, and you could just see 
all the stars and all the beauty of the heavens. And in that moment, I was just taken back to that thought. I thought, what was it like for Abraham when God said, hey, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to, to, to look up into the heavens. He said, you're going to have a son, and it's going to come from your own flesh and blood. Verse 5, Genesis 15, it says, he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. He said, go ahead, start counting them if you're able. Right? He said, if you're able. He said, go ahead, go ahead and count them. And then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And we don't know everything about what was going on in Abraham's uh, mind in those moments. And we don't see really anything recorded from his mouth in Scripture. But in verse 6, it allows us to see a bit of his heart when the Scripture records this. It says, then he believed in the Lord, and, it, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And it's still that way, right? We're going to see that at the end. So, so here's Abraham. He's been given this, this reminder of just how great and how mighty God is. He's given this, this beautiful, dramatic picture of his descendants. And then Genesis 17, we see that there's been some time that has passed, right? Since Genesis 12 to Genesis 17, there's been like 24 years that have passed. And Abraham now is at the ripe old age of 99. It's old, right? He's like 99, and, and here's this, this dynamic, right? It's been 24 years since God has promised him a son, and it's not looking good for the home team. Like Abraham later in the New Testament says he was good as dead. Like it's done. Like there's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's not good for the home team. Sarah, she, Sarah she's, she's old, right? She's like on up there, right? And, and so God reminds Abraham who he is. He said, I'm almighty. He said, I'm full of power. And Abraham laughs at this, and he says, hey, is there going to be a son? born to somebody, an old guy, a hundred years old. And, and then he's thinking, you know, and God says, hey, within a year, you're going to have this son. And he says, here, here I want to give you some new names. And he changed uh, Sarai's name to Sarah, uh, Abram's name to Abraham. And he says, you're going to experience uh, this son. And he says that you're going to name this, this boy Isaac, which that means laughter, right? And we read uh, in God's word that, that uh, Sarah had, had laughed, right? We read um, that she laughed at herself at this promise, right? But laughter was coming. We see God uh, institute this sign of, of God's promise, right? That there's uh, this circumcision that takes place. Uh, this sign of God's promise is instituted in that. We're reading God's word that, uh, that Abraham and his whole house were circumcised. Sarah's 90, right? She laughs, but here's the deal. Laughter is coming. That's what Isaac name means, right? And, and God's got a sense of humor, you know, in all that. And and we think about some of those things, and, you know, we think about the timing of God. I'm sure that, like, through all these years, Abraham's been like, where's this boy at? And we see him get in some trouble because of that. But the first thing I want you to see today is that we can trust God in the timing. So I want you to kind of soak that in, and if you're following along in the app, you'll see that note uh, there. But we trust God in the timing. Now, through the story of Abraham, we see the faithfulness of God. God promises, God provides. I've heard it said that God's never early and he's never late, but he's always right on time. But here's the deal. For us, you know, God's time is perfect. But for us, sometimes the in-between seems pretty painful. And Abraham had some years between the promise, right? In the wait, though, we see God was still working. Abraham's faith was, was growing. There was times that his faith was amazing. And then there were these other times where there was these bumps in the road, times where Abraham would lie to Pharaoh and Abimelech, where he would, he would say, and Sarah, like, I don't know, but she was 90. 
And, and in this old age, like right before that, she must have been a looker, right? Because he would say, when they see you, how beautiful they are, they're not going to, like, it's not going to be good for me. So tell them you're my sister. Tell them, like, like you know, I, I mean, this, this will help us out, right? And so here, God's given them a promise, but in the meantime, they're beginning to have fear creep in, right? That's what happens in our life, right? We know the truth of God's word, but there's fear that creeps in, even though they've heard from the Lord. Then uh, they're, they're still kind of in the midst of this time, and then all of a sudden, we see Sarah, she's like, hey, I, I'm just not. This, this isn't happening. I'm not producing this baby. So here, I got an idea. Why don't you take my handmaid? You know, why don't you take Hagar? And, and maybe that's where the seed's going to come from. And, and here's this Hagar affair, right? And there's this mess that happens in their home. There's like 16 years of just this mess. And, and some people say, well, that was Sarah's idea. But I want you to understand Abraham was responsible uh, in the midst of that. And, and here's what they were saying. They're saying, I know what God said. I know God said that there's this, this lineage that's going to come that, that through my seed. But he says, you know what? We're going to have to help God out. Like God must need some help because it's not happening as fast as it should. God must need some help. And so we're going to help him out. Can I remind you today, God doesn't need our help. He needs our obedience, but he doesn't need our help. And so when we read in God's word, there's things like scripture would say, hey, don't be unevenly yoked among yourselves with unbelievers. So if you're a young lady or a young gentleman in here, what that means is that you're to date believers, right? You're to, you're to yoke yourself together with people that are like-minded and following Jesus. That's what you're to do. And, and so then when all of a sudden in God's time, you're like, all your friends are getting married and all these things are there. You're like, you know, God, I know you told me that, but I'm going to help you out. And this guy, he's a pretty good guy. And so I'll just go that direction. But here's what it looks like. We walk by faith and we say, hey, God, if this person is not walking with you, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust and, and, I, and I understand that I'm not to be yoked together with them. So I'm going to trust that as, uh, as you work, that if they're meant to be, that, that here's the way this is going to work out. They'll uh, come to Christ and they'll do that before we start dating. We're going to walk in those kind of things. And then we say, you know what? And if that's not the one that's for me, then here's what I'm going to believe, that God's plan is better than my plan. And so I'm going to trust him. We're going to say, I'm not going to get ahead of God's plan. I'm not going to try to help him in those things. I'm going to trust in the promises and the plan of God. So here we see Genesis 21. Now they, they culminates right here in the birth of Isaac. He and Sarah, they held laughter. They held little baby Isaac, right? And that's like, you know, I think about those moments, right? I see Clark and Elena. I think about, you know, the first time they held little Hattie, right? And then this morning, uh, Drew and Sarah Kate had a little baby. And I'm thinking about little Harvey. We got Hattie and Harvey. We got all these things. And I'm thinking about they hold the little baby. I can remember when I held little Hope and I held little Grant. And we see those kind of moments, right? And we look at this gift that's from God. And we think about those kind of things. And he looks at laughter. He looks at Isaac. He looks at this precious gift from the Lord. And in the midst of that, we see this other little navigation. There's this little interaction that he has with Abimelech. And when we see at the end of that, he looks and he says that he, and he calls God something different, right? He says uh, in, at the end of chapter uh, 21, I think it's verse 33, it says he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And so we see that in this moment, right, he calls on him El Elam, that's the name, and, and he calls on the everlasting God. And what, what I believe Abraham is seeing in that moment is that God's timetable is a little different than his timetable. And he has this God that from eternity past into eternity future, that he sees everything and that his time is different than ours. His timing, though, is perfect. And through the faithfulness of God and his mercy and grace, Abraham has grown. His faith has grown. Through the highs and the lows, God has been at work in every area of his life. And then in Genesis chapter 22, the real test comes. And this we're going to pick up today, Genesis 22. And can I remind you that tests will come? 
I want every person in this room to hear that. that no matter what you hear on some TV preacher or all the things that are there, you, I want you to understand something. Tests will come. Trials will come. We will walk through difficult times. Followers of Jesus are not exempt from trials. Followers of Jesus are not exempt from trials. Warren Wiersbe says this uh, about trials. He says, in one sense, it's a compliment when God sends us a test. It shows that God wanted to, wants to promote us in the school of faith. Now, here's the deal. We want the faith, but we don't want the test, right? That, when I read, like, the faith chapter of Scripture and I read about all this stuff, I'm like, I want a faith like that, but I don't ever go, I want a trial like that. I mean, that's not what's coming out of our mouth, right? He says this, God never sends a test until he knows you're ready for it. Life is difficult, wrote psychiatrist Dr. Scott Peck. But once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. That's the first lesson we must learn. Expect trials from God because the Christian life is not easy. You know, we think about just this reality, right, that, that we walk through difficult times, that we walk through hard times. And, and, and here we see in Genesis 22, it says it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said, here I am, right? And we want the testimony. I'm going to quote this right now. Without the test. Thank you, Craig. That was a good one. Popped right up on my... Get some, that's like from the press box out there when somebody gives you, that's a good one, right? We want the testimony without the test, right? And it came about after these things that God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, remember, this is a test, but Abraham didn't know that. And so we trust in God's timing, and we trust God in the test. Some people ask me, said, does God desire that we go through trials? Here's how I like to word it. God desires that we grow through trials. And so when we think about trials, the thing that's hard for us is to figure out why they're coming and what's coming on. And as Terry prayed earlier, he's like, you know, we wonder why are all these things happening and what's going on here and what's going on there. And, you know, we read through scripture and there's all kind of uh, pictures that give us these, these different ways that trials come in. Sometimes we do stupid stuff. Like when I broke my shoulder on the trampoline or whatever latest injury I did, right? And we think about those things. I mean, you don't look at that and I don't be like, yeah, I'm really being... Man, the devil's really after me. No, no, you're an idiot. Like, you don't need to be doing backflips on a trampoline with an old net, right? But, but here's the thing. Like, as you walk through that, God desires that I would grow as I come through that. There's circumstances that happen, right? We read Paul, he had this thorn in his side, and we know that God chose not to heal it. And the, and the Bible tells us that it uh, was something there that, that, that helped Paul in, in his humility, right? We see that sometimes there's things that we walk through, right? We've read uh, through Job, right? And we saw this interaction like with Satan where Satan uh, is in the midst of this and the trials, you know, is coming uh, from Satan, but then they're permitted by God and our mind's kind of like, like what's going on there? And then we read today, here's Abraham and he's being tried by God himself, and the most troublesome thing for us is in the midst of all that, it's hard for us to discern the reason for the trial. It's hard to discern the source of, the, of the, the problem that we're dealing with. It's hard for us to discern all kind of things. But now James said, hey, when you're in the midst of a trial, he said, count it pure joy, my brothers, when you go through various diverse trials. And then he says in that same chapter, and a lot of times we use this verse out of context, but he says, when you're walking in the midst of a trial, he said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So God, what are you doing in the midst of my life? What is this trial? What are you teaching me? What? Or how are you growing me in this trial? 
Genesis 22, verse 2, he said, now take your son. Now, this is where it gets crazy. He said, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. That sounds familiar to Genesis 12, right? He says, hey, go, or I'm going I'm to tell you. He says, go ahead over there. But there's one thing that doesn't sound familiar at all, right, is that he's to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. What? Like, we read that, but here's what I want you to see. God and what we know about God is God by nature is immutable, right? God by nature, he does not change. God never changes, right? And we read uh, in the law, but now here's the deal, right? This is pre-Moses. So, so Abraham doesn't have the law, but we read in the law that God forbids human sacrifice in the law. And so we know that even at the beginning of this command, it was not God's desire for him to kill Isaac. This was a test. And so we know those things. We're able to see those things. But here's the deal. Like I said earlier, it's not known by Abraham, but it's known by us. And when we look back at this story, what we see in this story is that God did not want the sacrifice of Isaac. He wanted the surrender of his father. And I don't want you to miss that in this story. It wasn't, it wasn't after that. What he desired was not Isaac's life, right? But he desired Abraham's loyalty. He desired his obedience. He wants our complete obedience, right? That is our response to the goodness of God. And this sacrifice is a surrender of the will. Now, Abraham obeys immediately. Scripture says this, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. And I want you to catch this. I mean, this is so powerful. And we're going to get back into this, and we're going to kind of end here. But he says this. He says, he says that, that I, he says, we will worship. He said, I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. And we're going to see two times in this passage. And so when, when we're looking at, at studying the scriptures and we don't hold this like for the, the absolute everything as we, as we study things, we don't say, hey, the first time that it comes up, that's the only thing that God has to say about it. But what we know is that when we're studying something, when we look at something in the New Testament, or we look at something in the scripture, and when, when uh, rabbinical teaching was there and they would have begun to study some type of word, they, they would have... Uh, took into account this law of first. And so the first time that something's mentioned in the scripture, so if we're studying about worship in the New Testament, then there's wisdom in us saying, okay, we're going to thread all the way back to the first time that God introduced this word into our minds, to the first time, to the law first, the, the, the proto-logos, the first time that this has been introduced, and we're going to study, and we're going to see what it teaches us uh, about this particular topic. And so when we study worship, what we see is that the first time this is used in the scripture is in this passage. And so we're going to learn some things about that. And what we see about worship is that it is, has to do with sacrifice and it has to do with surrender and it has to do uh, with this, this beautiful picture of, of something different than many times is in our mind. So we trust God in the test. We trust God also in the promises. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 because we get a little gleaning from the New Testament uh, about what was going on uh, in Abraham's mind and his heart. And he says this, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendant shall be called. And he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead 
from which he also received him back as a type. And so what we see is that Abraham believed God so much, and he believed that if God allowed him to go through with this, if this was what happened, that God would resurrect him if that's what it took for him to keep his promises. He says, I've seen that God is faithful, and I've seen that whatever God says that he will do. I know that God's word is true. And so even when it doesn't make sense, he says, I'm walking in this. And so then in verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to his father. I want you to think about this interaction, right? Last night I was, um, I've been just reading and listening to this text over and over, you know, and I've got a little boy named Grant that's on the front row, you know, and it's about bedtime and I've just been reading that over and over and I said, hey buddy, I said, come here and snuggle with dad. And he looked at me, he's like, I'm good. <laughs> he's like, at that, at that age, you know, you're kind of like, but I'm like, come here, buddy. And, and so he comes over and I, I kind of got my arms around him, you know, and I was thinking about just this passage and I was thinking about Abraham and I was thinking about, you know, I can remember as I was talking about that first time that I held my only son. I can remember teaching him things. I can remember playing games. I can remember doing all these different things. And here Isaac speaks to Abraham, his father, and he says, my father. And they say that, you know, the scholars say that the youngest that, would, that Isaac would have been would have been teenage years, right? He was, he was not like this little toddler, right? He's carrying the wood. He understands what's going on. This isn't uh, like, this is a young adult, right? And he's carrying it up and he looks and he understands. And, and while, um, Child sacrifice and all those kind of things, these were things that were common in the Canaanites. These were things that were common in, in the year of Chaldees. These were things that were happening there, but they were definitely not uh, God's plan. But he says this. He says, here I, he says, my father, my father. He says, here I am, my son. And he said, I see the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now listen, like Abraham's like, we don't know exactly how old he was, but he's like a hundred and something teen or he's like 120. Let's just say he's 120, right? And then we see like his son is a teenager. You're not going to hold that kid down, right? He's faster. I'm guarantee you, like, like I can outrun any hundred something year old, even me now. Like it can happen. Like I'm, I'm racing. I'm ready. But, but here's this thing. Isaac has such a trust in his father, right? Not only was Abraham obedient to his father, but, but Isaac is obedient to him too. Verse 9, he says, they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac. Can you imagine that? Like he's, I just can't. Like if it was up to me to give my son, we'd all go to hell. He says he binds Isaac and lays him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. You just imagine that. Like Isaac's laying there and he's looking up. Here's Abraham. He's walking in obedience. And then in verse 11, it says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham trusted in the promises of God, and he trusted in the provision of God, right? He trusted God in those things, right? I don't know if you've, some of you deer hunters, you've never seen an animal caught up that way, right? You've never been deer hunting and just like, oh, wow, like Bambi stuck, you know, like, and this is a miracle from God. And here is a male adult lamb, like this ram, right? And he's caught in, in, a, in a bunch of thorns, right? His head is stuck in a bunch of thorns. And what we see is that in the place of Isaac, that God had given this substitute, right? That this, this, this ram was a substitute sacrifice for Isaac. Now, can you imagine this moment, right? Can you imagine all of a sudden when they see this ram and when God has provided, right? Can you imagine this moment? And we see and we read about the, the scripture says that me and the lad are going to worship God. Now, I want to tell you something that we don't see in this story that I believe is probably the most powerful moment of anything in this story. If we could just lean in and see the eyes of it is when Abraham and Isaac are in that moment and God has provided a ram. God has provided a substitute. And in the midst of that, I believe that there's been something beautiful that's been going on. And it's something that's been missing. It's something that's been missing from homes all over this building. It's been something that's been missing from homes all over this nation. I believe that through the years, there's a reason that Isaac was trusting and walking with his father because his dad had been telling him and taking time. And they'd been having family worship where they'd been saying, this is who our God is. This is the God who has provided. This is the God who had promised you and, and promised you to be born from Sarah. And she's she old, old, old. And this is our faithful God. And you can trust in his promises. And you can trust in me. And you can know that I love you. And you can know that I'm walking with you. And you can know that our God loves you. And they'd been worshiping at a family altar. And then here on this day, God had provided a substitutionary, atoning sacrifice in Isaac's place. And all of a sudden he looks over and he sees that. And when he sees it for the first time and when he understands that, I believe that a, a dad and his son worship in a way that is unexplainable. And I want you to understand when we look back to the law first and we see worship first seen in the Bible and we think about the beauty of what took place in that day, what God desires from us is that we would experience his grace, that we would experience his mercy and that we would look to the cross and that we would see a lamb that was slain substitutionary, atoning sacrifice in our place and it would cause something in us to change and that we would respond in worship that is different than we've ever experienced in our life in light of the sacrificial atoning love of God, right? There's a worship, right? A heart-filled gratitude over God's provision. He has provided a substitute, mercy, and grace. That's what we see in the cross. And Paul says it this way. He says, if you want to know what worship looks like in the New Testament, he says, this is reasonable worship. He said, I, I beseech you, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God. He says, when you look at the cross and you look at the substitutionary atoning sacrifice of Jesus, when you see those things, when you look at the cross, when you see the mercy of God, that you deserved death. The scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we look to the cross and we look to the atoning sacrifice, he says, then your reasonable act of worship is to present your bodies. This is what God desires. This is what he desired from Abraham. It's what he desires from us. He, he says, listen, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy. Listen, pursuing the purity of God, no longer walking in the things of this world, living 
living for the glory of something else, pursuing God's holiness, holy, a reasonable sacrifice, is presenting your bodies as holy and acceptable to God, right? The sacrifice that God desires is people offering themselves as living sacrifices. Look at verse 14. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Jehovah Jireh, God is our provider, right? Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself, I've sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In verse 18, he says, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Trust and obey. God has provided. See, what we know now as we look back that God has provided, that God has made a way on this mountain. God provided a substitutionary ram. He provided a ram with his head caught in the thorns and it became a sacrifice for Isaac. And I want you to understand in the New Testament, the scripture says uh, that Jesus, right? You remember when John the the Baptist was seeing Jesus and he looked at him and, and when he looked at him, he said this, behold, and I want you to get the picture of this. Jesus comes around, John's baptized, and he looks out and he says, behold, right there. Right there he is. Right there he is, the one that we've been looking for. Right there, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Right there he is. That's who he is. And what we see in Genesis 22, we see fulfilled and beautifully painted in John 3.16. We get so used to that verse, but here's what the scripture says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so here's this picture, right? We see in in the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? We see this substitutionary ram, but we see here's Isaac. And all of a sudden, Isaac, right? The wood is placed on his back, right? And I think about all of our sin and all of our shame and all of our hurting, right? I thought about Abraham and Isaac and and then the time that's leading up to that, right? I think about just almost this Garden of Gethsemane moment, right? Where, Where there's just this extreme grief and there's this extreme anguish as they walk in obedience. And then I think about Jesus, right? Where... He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. When God the Father placed on him all of my sin, all of my shame, and all of my sorrow, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, a sacrifice once and for all. Isaac takes the wood and carries it up that hill, and I think about our Savior who took a cross on his back, and he climbed Mount Calvary. That same mountain range there at Mount Moriah. And, you know, we look in the scriptures and we see that on Mount Moriah, right, that that was the place that the temple was there. And on the Day of Atonement, year after year, there was a lamb, right, that would be, uh, that would be offered, right, as a substitutionary atoning death for the sins of the people. And, and what we see is that on Mount Calvary, Jesus stretched his arms out and he died on a cross and was an offering, a substitutionary atoning sacrifice in our place. John 3.16, right? We see that, that scripture come in the midst of a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And I don't have these scriptures uh, on the screen. 
Uh, but you can lean in there. And, and so we see this conversation, right? He says uh, uh, that you must be born again, right, to see the kingdom of God. And they have this conversation. And we know that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And so he would have known, he would have forgotten more about Father Abraham than any of us know, right? I'm talking about they would have been in this and immersed in this and understood all of these things. And so here they are, John chapter 3. And he says this. He said, how can these things be? Nicodemus asked of him. And Jesus answered him and he said, are you the teacher of Israel and don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe it, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then he says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And then in verse 14, he says, as Moses Listen to this. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. And so he would have known exactly what that moment was about, right? And Jesus was lifted up. The scripture says that he was lifted up on a cross. And, he, and Jesus said these words. He said, if I'm lifted up, he said, I will draw all men into myself. And so and on the cross of Christ, Jesus was lifted up. And we see uh, he would have been following all this stuff. Nicodemus would have been there. And then he would have said this. He said, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then immediately in those moments, right, the law first mentions would have seen that the first time in the scriptures that love had ever been talked about like this, that this type of love, that a love that was that way would have been in Genesis 22 when he said, go and offer your son, your only son. He said, would take him and offer him as a burnt offering to me. And he would say, your son whom you loved. And in that moment, in that very moment, I believe Nicodemus would have been taken back to the story of Abraham and Isaac. And he would have seen in that moment that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And here's the thing about that belief, right? And we see it in Abraham. The scripture says that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We see in this passage, he said, whoever believes in him, right? It's not just knowledge about him. It's not just knowledge of things that he's done. It's not that kind of belief. But what we see is it is a trust. And we see that kind of trust in Abraham and Isaac. And it's a trust that says, God, I trust you with everything in my life. Lord, I, I surrender. It, it is a response to the goodness of God that, that is the only response that we can have. And it is a response of surrender that, that gives, that just lays ourselves down because that's what God wants. Now, there may be some of you in this room that God's saying, hey, you need to get rid of some stuff. You need, you need to do away with some things in your life, right? And if they're sinful, right, we understand and we know that, that, that God would tell us, right, we read in the New Testament that we're to lay uh, every sin, right, and all those things that so easily besets us, that we're to lay those things aside so that we might run the race with endurance that's set before us, that we see that we're to cast all those things off, that we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, right, the author and perfecter of our faith. We would see those kind of things. But maybe there's some things in your life, right, that are not necessarily bad things, but they've been become more important than God in your life. They become an idol in your life. And I want you to understand that God will remove idols from our life. He, he desires, right? And he's holy. He's pure. And he's jealous of our worship. And he is worthy of our worship. And he is given, right? Can you imagine Abraham and Isaac as they worship God, looking at this substitutionary sacrifice that God had provided in that moment, right? They would 
given something holy and something beautiful in that. And God has provided that through his only begotten son whom he loved. And he stretched his arms out on a cross. And God, right, I think about just this, this picture, right, of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place. And our only response, our only response is worship. Our only response. And, and when we go back to what worship looks like, and there's something beautiful, we're going to sing together. And we're going to worship the Lord together. And we're going to, I love uh, worship music. And I listen to it all the time. But I want you to understand worship is more than that. Worship is more than that. Worship says, I surrender everything to you. It's sacrificial. What does it cost you? You know, we say, hey, I don't, I don't want to, I, I'm, I'm willing to do, God, if you'll just tell me what you want me to do, I'll do it. Um, we're, we're, we're thinking about like, I'm thinking, there's no way I'd be willing to give up my son. There's a lot of us wouldn't be willing to give up anything. We're not willing to give up anything that costs us, anything that's different. But I want you to understand worship is sacrificial. It's costly and it's beautiful, right? And it is the only response to a God who is worthy of all things. And he desires not the things that we have in our life. God is in need of nothing. Right? If God's asking us to give something up, it's not because God needs it, right? It's not because he's lacking something. It's because he wants all of us. Amen. Will you pray with me as the worship team comes? Father, we're grateful for your word. We're thankful for the provision, God, of our salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. And that God, in your goodness and mercy and in your great love, you did not withhold the knife from your only son. And it becomes a demonstration to us of your great love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He willingly went up that mountain. And he died for sinners, of whom I am chief. And God, I pray, Lord, that our response would be worship. That our response would be surrender. God, if there's anything that stands between us and you, God, I pray, Lord, that we would lay it down. God, I pray, Lord, that we would see that, God, it's not the things you desire, but, God, you desire all of us. Lord, may we live our lives in surrender and obedience. God, may our lives be described as those who would trust and obey. Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, I pray in the power of your spirit that you would draw them. Lord, you were lifted up on that cross, Father, and we pray. God, that the gospel, Lord, would be beautiful today in our midst. And God, that through God, just a picture of the cross, God, that our lives would be changed. God, that our lives would be surrendered and our worship would be pure. Lord, we love you. If there's anyone that don't know you, God, I pray they'll respond in surrender and belief today. God, we love you. Have your will and way in this time, Lord. If there's anything in our lives, reveal it. God, help us to be willing to even maybe symbolically, Lord, come and kneel in this altar and lay those things down. God, you are our provider. You are the everlasting God from beginning to end, Lord. If we're in the midst of trials, God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us see God, that we're not forgotten. Lord, that your timing is perfect, that we can trust you. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and worship?